get your earballs ready. Welcome to the Greg and Tim Show podcast. Take time to sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Here are your hosts, Greg and Tim. <laughs> Welcome back to the Greg and Tim Show. I'm Greg, and here beside me is a special guest today. His name is... Thanks for having me on, Greg. My name you're is You're not Tim. a guest. Why do you want to pretend to be a guest today? Is it because you're sitting in the guest chair? I'm happy to finally be sitting down with you after all of these weeks. <laughs> so we're having a sit down. Yeah. The reason being is I didn't want to clean it up. Right. I didn't want to clean up the podcast room, so I kept it like this. We did an interview last week, and I yeah. kept it like this. Yeah. So you want me to interview you? Is that what you want? No, I just... So Tim... I, who I, is Tim Sanderson? Tim Sanderson is a guy who's gotten addicted to this. I wish thing I had a I, buzzer. I it was like eh, so that's Greg, not right. So Greg gave me this to write notes on, and just for notes. And I I really like it, so I want to keep this. But it was just for notes, so I can. And you were supposed to put it off episode. to the side, yeah. back in the old nerd I, shed. I, I'm going to keep it on my on my uh, <sighs> on my lap for the whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So how's it going, Greg? <laughs> it's going fantastic. Um, when do we usually roll? Do we usually roll after this or do we roll after we talk about our week? Let's talk about what we're going to talk about. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about? Yeah, and then we roll. So we're going to say, like, we're, we're talk- are we talking sports I don't today, know. Let's Greg? just roll. Grab your phone. It's podcast time. It's the Greg and Tim Show. It's the Greg and Tim Show. <laughs> <laughs> so how was your week, Tim? <laughs> uh, my, now that we've rolled, last week we rolled after 15 minutes. It doesn't matter. And it, like this no time rules. it was like three, so there's that's no better. Um, there my, is rules. My week's been great. It's been so warm uh, in it's Winnipeg. It's beautiful here. I don't know if you're from anywhere else in the country or the states or whatever, but in Winnipeg, uh, we're at the beginning or end of January, early February, yeah. and the average highs are like minus 15, minus 12, minus 15. Yeah. And it's been like plus degrees celsius uh i don't know what that is in fahrenheit yeah but every day it's like the the ice is melting uh taking my dog for walks it's really really dirty though yeah i know i put a outfit on my dog so that when i get home i can take the outfit off and he's not dirty yeah but the outfit is disgusting i'm dodging ice uh, down my street the entire time you have ice on your street i don't have any ice yeah it's it's all water now it's been plus six all week uh, plus plus six in Winnipeg, just for people that aren't from Winnipeg, plus six in Winnipeg is yeah. very much like it's a 25 degree swing. It's usually minus 25 to minus 30 at this time. Yeah. Well, global warming, right? I think it's called climate change now. I think they changed it. Oh, when, it, when it's I think warm. What's her name? Greta Van Susteren? Greta Van Wig? What's Greta, her name? Greta Van Winkle? Greta Van Winkle. <laughs> she changed it to global, to, to climate change. <laughs> she changed it? Mm-hmm. I thought Trudeau might have. Thunberg. it. Toonberg? Toonberg. She's the one that changed it. So yeah, we're hanging out in the chairs here today. We thought we would, uh, you know, talk about our week, but you haven't even told me about your week other than the fact that it's been warm. Well, I, I, that has enabled me to go for daily walks and love it. And you're enjoying every moment. Yeah. So daily walks with my- So it is going to get cold. Yeah, it's going to get, you know what I'm hoping for? I I know. I was just going to say it. I'm hoping for like, it gets really, really cold when I leave for my- uh, Your trip. Which is uh, today is the seventh on the taping. Yeah, we leave on two the twentieth, uh, so that's less than two weeks, thirteen days. Yeah, uh, I got a flight to San Francisco early morning on the twentieth, so really not even that day. So we have this podcast. Yeah, 
and next week's podcast, providing yeah. that I don't kill you this week. Um, and then we have uh, some awesome interviews that right. we're going to broadcast while we're on vacation yeah. that we've been working on for the last couple of weeks. So just in case everyone doesn't is understanding, when they, they don't see us on a podcast in this scenario when we're talking to each other and this lovely banter, it's not because <laughs> you, you killed me. They're still going to see us. Oh like, no! Yeah, Wait, yeah. I didn't kill you. Like, like <laughs> the two of us, you know, together in an episode where we're actually talking. Just the two events, of us, right? Just yeah. the two of us. Uh, it's not because I've deceased. No, it would be because um, you've passed. We're on hiatus. I'm going on holidays, yeah. and you, my friend, I'm so pumped because you have not been to your old stomping grounds in Florida because you have a family member that lives or part time out there, right? Well, my parents live there yeah. in the winter, and my uh, in laws are there. So for you guys six used weeks. to go very regularly, and you would even we went have... six years in a row. Yeah. So when we went to Florida, you guys were like, "Well, oh, you go to this pizza place." Yeah. And you go little to Anthony's. This, little Anthony's. Shout out little Anthony. Uh, you go to this donut place. It was Donut King. And of course, you go to this church, which was real life in Claremont, Florida. Yeah. Yeah. And so I we, should be pointing at the single we, camera. We've done that. Point at that one. And we and we went to all those places in like and the funny thing is we went in January of yeah. 2021. And you when, loved it. And like and it was it was Florida, right? So when Winnipeg was infamously being locked Cold. down locked down in our basements. Yeah. Uh I was out there and loving it. Were you? Yeah, living life. So every one of my suggestions was a good one. Uh, yeah, you know, for the most part, we think alike. So yeah, yeah you don't like pizza as much as I do. But no, but I have, I have family good. members that like it. And they had, a, I think, they had a cauliflower crust one that I. That oh, they did had, they? Right? Yeah. So like one that was. By, for... by the way, just a little bit of a thing about cauliflower crust. <laughs> okay. They're not all equal. I've never had one. Like I think a Pizza Pizza has a. I don't want to. Maybe I shouldn't say this. You're not going to rag on Pizza Pizza. They I'm, might... sure I'm sure they're not the only one, but it's like. Here's a healthy cauliflower pizza, which is smaller and more yeah. expensive, and it's like two percent cauliflower, and it's more expensive. It's more expensive, and it's really like like a tiny little bit, so they can call it cauliflower crust. Yeah, is a couple of drops of cauliflower in there apparently, <laughs> and it's just as bad for you. But it's gluten free, right? Yeah. yeah. Does anyone really know what gluten is? So in two weeks, you're going to be gone. Well, less than two weeks, you're going to be gone. Yeah. Just over two weeks, I'm going to be gone. Um, we're trying to get everything done prior to leaving. Yeah. Uh. Cruz had his birthday yeah. last week. We had 12 children running around. Yeah, you sent an SOS. Uh, I did. Nobody came. No. I <laughs> nobody joined me. Did not want to do that. No. And <laughs> so, then Matthew said that. And he, it smelled like yeah. somebody had yeah. farted yeah. on a truck full of BO yeah. down here. And Matthew and Carlos said, what are you talking about? We had 20 people for our kids. Birthday. Yeah. That's nothing. Why are you being such a wuss? Yeah. I'm and, just and you were. Yeah, I let's, guess. Let's so. be face it. Let's be face it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, before I forget, funny story. Like we, uh, Sunday, I doubt you'll forget. On Sunday, my lovely wife sang in church, and I was able to watch her for a couple of services. She did a great yeah. job. And then in the evening, uh, it was like it was so warm. Like the high was plus three on Sunday. We had yeah. a. Uh, we went, first of all, we went to Cadoba with the uh, our, our two children that are still in Winnipeg, Taylor and Avery, and we, we took their boyfriends as well. And then we came back to have a bonfire. Shout out to Julian who uh, did sound for us a couple weeks ago. He did did a fabulous job. We, yeah. we you went to Cadoba with them. Sorry, I keep and, interrupting. And we were reminiscing about. Uh, I don't know if I told you the story about the Cadoba, the 2021 Cadoba adventure with my no. wife. So do you remember uh, uh, the days in which you, uh, in order to sit at the same table, you had to provide proof that you all- Yeah, that you were in the same household. So if anyone doesn't understand this, like if you're in the States, you have no idea what we're talking about. There was a time in Manitoba or Canada in general 
where you actually had to prove you lived in the same household to sit in the same booth. It was very dystopian. Yeah, for for during the time we don't talk about. <laughs> and, uh, and and we so my wife and I went to Kadoba. Yeah. And I had my ID, and she forgot hers at home. Yeah. And they're like, nope. So it was so funny because I sat she I sat in this booth, and I sat in the booth like just literally. <laughs> Right beside you. Five, two feet away. <laughs> and you left and came with each other. <laughs> and we left and came with each other. Oh my goodness. So and much. so we laughed and uh, she did not laugh. But yeah. uh, anyway. And then I also had Brandon and Allie's uh, anniversary dinner on Sunday. So that was great. We're at, we're cel- not anniversary, engagement. They didn't get it. They, they haven't been married yet. Engagement dinner. So we're celebrating. Well, they celebrate their one week engagement. There, I think it's been a month and a half. One, a month and a half in, uh, anniversary engagement. Yeah, anniversary. But you have a celebration coming up in uh, two weeks, the twenty first. My birthday is on the twenty first of February. So I turned forty eight. Your birthday is on the twenty first. We're not going to be here for the taping, unfortunately. Right. So I, uh, I got something for you. You got, you got me something. Yeah. I didn't tell you this time because I know you feel bad when I get you something. Right. When you don't, uh, when you don't get me something. Well, I know, I know. But now it's your birthday, so yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I didn't make you feel bad, um, Billy. Behind that box there, in that box there, is uh, something that's wrapped. Can you pass it to me? So, all right. This no, no, not yet, because I know <laughs> what happens. <laughs> that so, ungrateful so and so. That ungrateful. You're just gonna <laughs> rip it and toss it off to the yeah. side. There's gonna be wrapping paper everywhere. Yeah. Just so everybody knows, I've been very difficult today pre-taping. And, You've and been. During you were taping. wearing white socks that had like paint on them, and well, other they, they just, didn't. They didn't have paint on them. Your white socks had, actually had, looked like your shirt. Did, that wasn't paint. It was blood. First of all. <laughs> Second of all. I forgot that white was bad. The the paint your socks actually looked like your shirt, but your shirt was made like that, and your socks were not. <laughs> anyway, um, this is something that I hope that you really like. I don't know if you will. Um, it has something to do with the Mandela effect, maybe. Oh no! <laughs> I, so everybody, you're there. really excited. It's a Paw Patrol paper. Paw Patrol paper. Yeah. Show that camera. Paw Patrol. Yeah. Paw Patrol. Is this, okay. is this my personal camera? That's just you. That's just me. Everybody. (laughs) They're looking right into your soul. Good to see you. Ooh, that's not good. Okay. (laughs) See if you like it. I don't know if you got this. It's a book. It's a book. Yes, you're right. (laughs) Oh. Two minutes to for two. Oh, it's a Kirk Kielback book. Yeah. So I love Kirk Kielback. You were uh, you were texting me the other day. Yeah. That you were like, hey, I love him like I love Sandberg. I love Kirk Kielback. I was so mad when they came back. <laughs> when they came, I'll get a little close up here. Look at look at Greg got me for my birthday. Two minutes for talking to Two myself, talking. which is what I feel like sometimes on this show. Um, <laughs> um, and there's a picture of Kirk Kielback. Jets, Coyotes, Tales, Opinions. I guess those are certain things in the book. Yeah. It's a it's a very interesting book. It's yeah. got it's got a lot of like uh, behind the scenes stories of what happened and um, Jets history and player history and his history as well. Um, it what? talks about like his. It actually talks about why he stopped broadcasting with the Coyotes, which I got I got to, which was a really good chapter. So so I'm just gonna read this book for the rest of the. <laughs> You're podcast. not gonna read it for the rest of the in episode. the beginning. So Kirk Heelback, <laughs> like so the people that don't know because you're you can throw it wherever you want. You can put it in the middle here if you want. Show it off. 
Um, for people who don't know who Kirk Kielbeck is, Kirk Kielbeck used to be the voice of the Jets yeah. when we were kids. Yeah, I, I thought he was, I listened to a bunch of radio guys. I thought he was like one of the best. Yeah. Underrated, he was in Winnipeg, so you never got the respect that he kind of deserved. So did you know that he was the voice of the Jets for 15 years? Well, yeah, of course. 79 to 94. Definitely. Like, and he me. wasn't the voice for the last two years. Do you remember who was the voice? Um, Munzee? Munzee? Nope. Um, Munzee was the voice of the Moose. And then he, he was Keith when he came back. I think he was part-time. With the, with he was the, part-time with the Jets, with the, Jets the new Jets. Came, but yeah. who was 95, 96 voice of the Jets? Tell me. Kelly Moore. Oh, yeah, Kelly Moore. Kelly Moore. And I think he still does some broadcasting stuff. Or he was when TSN 1290 was here. Um, so he was the he was the broadcaster for the Jets from 79 to 94. Yeah. And from that was from like the first years of the NHL being in Winnipeg, right? Yeah. Was that when the Jets started, 79? Well, they came into the league in 79 80, yeah. Okay. And they were the worst team in the league. So 81, they got Howard Chuck. 80, 81, they got Howard Do you Chuck. know why he became a broadcaster? Uh, nope. So he was a broadcaster in um, Regina yep. for the Pats, I believe. Right. And uh, his dad worked with uh, Friar Nicholson and uh, who's the other guy? Cactus Jack? Cactus Jack. Remember Cactus, Cactus Jack? Cactus Jack Wells, I think, is right? Yeah. Remember the Happy Honker? Yeah, for the Bombers. Was that the Bombers? I think it was the Jets. No, it was the Bombers. Are I you remember sure? That. Yeah, 100%. Okay. Anyway, um, so his dad worked with them. And I, I, so I also bought the book Yeah, just, <laughs> just to give a little bit of backstory. Cause I'm like, Oh, I get to, I, I get to a mug. I buy myself the same mug. <laughs> I like to have the same things, but anyway, so I, I, I've been reading it and, um, his dad's nickname was the kid. Okay. Jim Keelback, I believe the kid. And, um, so, uh, Friar Nicholson, um said get the kids kid or or cactus jack wells one of the two said get the kids kid yeah because he was doing pats games right. you know in uh regina i believe yeah and he thought he was just going to come over and be like a guy that worked with um the friar nicholson because friar nicholson was the play-by-play guy he thought he was going to do just some light work yeah where he ended up doing a lot of the heavy lifting and became the voice and then, um, what's your favorite? Do you ever, do you remember favorite calls at all? Oh, of course. Um, essence of, essence of the say, the Jets have the power play. Shot around, around. <laughs> yeah. Shot, so, save, rebound. Yeah. And, uh, he was so good. Um, and then he wasn't able to, when the Jets came back, like, like, honestly, like, no offense to anybody who does radio broadcasting play by from, play. they came back till now in the last 12 years. Yeah. They're not as good as Kirk Kilbeck. And and it's again, no offense, it's not even close. Yeah. So it always I'd never understood why he wasn't at least considered to be the voice of the Jets when they came back. I always thought there was some things under the table that happened that neither the book <laughs> or the organization, as you know, the Jets can be very tight lipped. They are. Yeah. Uh that it's a story that I don't think we'll ever know. But it seemed like something went down. He he does tell the story about why he um, was let go from the Coyotes, right? In the book, right? Which is very interesting. How right. that story goes. Just one year, he didn't get his contract renewed. Yeah, and uh, yeah, there's a there's a good story. I won't re- re- ruin the whole book for you. I told you I'd read it here on air, <laughs> and then they're gonna have chapter to, one, two point five speed at two point five speed. Uh, 
Once upon a time. So Sorry, I'm gonna have to answer this, Tim. This is actually the second part of your your birthday present. Oh. How are you doing? Oh, I did. Hi. You are Tim. Tim. Good to meet you. Good to see you. Tim, this is the second half of your birthday present. We're going to send you to Kuna. Hey, this is good. We just, we just finished talking about you a ton. Uh oh. Because he just opened up the book. Oh, okay. I got the book for him for his birthday. Oh, wow. Did you find anything positive in there? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> lots of questions. Lots ten, of questions. Ten good things, two bad things. But hey, okay, hey that's good. Yeah, that's good. So we're going to uh, sit down and chat with him. Awesome. Awesome. So we're going to give Kurt the, the big seat. Okay. The big seat. The big seat. You're the... And I'm sure you know how these work. <laughs> yeah. So this this part is... I've got the dot. So that's where you're speaking to. Okay. Jim, you got this guy here. You want to be over there? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, let me get my setup done here too. Awesome. So so this is this is fantastic. I'm super excited that you're here because I'm. I'm also, glad to be here. Good. I'm Good. also a huge fan because right. I grew up with uh, with you on the radio as Tim did. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, this might sound a little weird or creepy or whatever, but I would fall asleep to you calling the play-by-play -play back in yeah, the day. <laughs> Does that sound weird or creepy? Yeah, I, I don't know whether that's flattering or not. <laughs> I put you to sleep. Well, no, that's, no, I know you didn't put me to sleep. No, I, I know. Actually, it's funny. I hear let uh, from a lot of people who said that uh, they, after bedtime they'd sneak a radio and you know and, and listen yeah. and. My voice was the last thing they would hear. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that uh, that contributed to the fact that a lot of people. Your age think highly of me yeah. because of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I some of the so. games were late at night, so yeah, for, the game if it's in, in LA, LA yeah, yeah. So the game, the seven seven game against when Jamnoff had those five goals, yeah, right. You know that game's not ending till midnight. Well, yeah. we're we're twelve years old. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're, we're 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 tired. Well, right? you're yeah. you're twelve. I'm only nine. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. um, we we actually talked about you a little bit at the beginning of the show because we were talking about the book and everything like that. So, uh, kind of did a quick little introduction, but basically, you were the voice of the Jets fifteen years. 79 to 94, correct? And yeah. And you did TV for Yeah, and then years. I did uh, the last couple of years on TV. So with, I, was, uh, I was with them from, uh, for 17 seasons, actually. 17 yeah. seasons. CKND. And, and prior to that, it was CKOI radio and TV. Yeah. And uh, there was CGOB was mixed in there a couple of times, too. So it This was, was all uh, back before uh, TSN and all yeah. that kind of stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, it was back when very few games were televised. There was only uh, 16 games a year televised. Of the Winnipeg Jets, aside from the ones that Hockey Day in Canada did on a Saturday or playoff time. So yeah. it, there weren't many games on TV. You had to pretty well go to the rink. Or the or next best thing, I guess, was to listen to the radio. Yeah. Yeah, the radio. And I remember being a kid, I would actually practice doing play-by-play play yeah. on yeah. my like my CD player or, yeah. or tape player or whatever, right? Did you ever do that? Oh, all the time for sure. I might have taped it a couple of times, but I didn't. It didn't keep it. 
How mm-hmm. awesome would it be if we had those tapes right now? It would be awesome. Hey, Tammy, can you? No, you can't. <laughs> it wouldn't, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't be very good. You know, it, it ne- it, they never sound quite as good when you're sitting in a room doing a fake play-by-play as they do when you're at the actual <laughs> rink with a, the background noise and the goals and the, and the reality of it all. So, yeah. I always, yeah. I always remember in, I think it was 86, when we had that big snowstorm and we were playing yeah. the Devils that night. Yeah. And 500 people could make it to the arena. That It was like every time you made a call, I could hear the puck hit every board. <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, that was crazy there. Yeah. Uh, George Bazunas was the guy. He was the engineer at the CKY. Had to come and pick me up in his four-wheel drive. And I had to walk to Portage from where we lived. We lived in Westwood. And he got me to the rink. And then I looked, and I can recall seeing the New Jersey bus didn't make it all the way to the rink. And the players, the devils got off, and they had to carry their equipment. Their and, oh, yeah. And then the final score was 8-1 to one that night for the Jets. For the so, Jets. Uh, yeah. Well, the Devils were tired. They oh, they, yeah, they were tired. They didn't even know they were going to get here. <laughs> they yeah. probably took a left turn at the velodrome back in that time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it's uh, like back in the day, it was a different league and a different culture, essentially, right? Like, you know, it was a lot different. Uh, it's It was, uh, I think there was a little bit more fun and, and less business uh, attitude yeah. back then because. Players weren't making uh, ten million dollars a year. <laughs> yeah. They were uh, making a very good wage, but it was uh, in the hundreds of thousands, or sometimes even less. Yeah. So uh, it was uh, important that they also got some public relations work in because they'd wind up working for a brewery in a later life or yeah. public relations of some sort. And uh, it was just a, a different feel. And they weren't in the same kind of shape that they are now either. I mean, that's why they called it training camp back in the days, because guys would come to train. Yeah. Nowadays, the best shape a hockey player is in all year is when he arrives at training camp. Yeah. Their, their, their training, actually, their conditioning decreases over the course of the year because of the flights and the time off in between. And well, the breakdown yeah. and the bustles and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, Solani tells the story. Um, he was in an interview recently, and he said when he came to training camp, and he looked around and he said, these guys are professional hockey players. And he would do the <laughs> drills and he's like, these guys are slow and they're old. And, yeah. and he was had he had to be told to slow down. You're going too fast. Some of the <laughs> veterans, you're showing up some of the veterans, right? It's, yeah. It's, what, what, was Solani the, would you say, was he was the most electrifying player you called? Or was there someone else that you would say, uh, would you really enjoyed seeing them on the ice? No, he was easily the most electrifying player in that first year. Yeah. In particular, that rookie year, because he was making those uh, those rushes going hard to the net and from the outside. The second year after he got hit by uh, Brian Marchmont and uh, and there was a, there was a second hit in there too in Vancouver, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike Pekka was the other guy, yeah. and the two of them both nailed him in the knees. And after that, he was a little more cautious about making those hard charges. You get to the blue line and he do a little loop. Yeah. And, uh, and wait for a trailer and feed the puck. But that first year it was headlong to the net every time. And it was great to watch, you know, Glenn Anderson was often famous for making that, uh, the suicide rush, they called yeah. it. But, uh, Solani made several of them every single game and everyone was exciting as the one before. Yeah. And you, you see that these days with guys like Ehlers and, and, uh, even a little bit like with Connor, right. But they don't have the same fear that they used to. Uh, we just saw the big hit. I don't know if you watched the game last night. With, no, with I, I didn't see it. Uh, my television broke down, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a strange day at our place. You could have yeah. got to the radio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I broke my bed this morning. The television broke. That's crazy, yeah. But they didn't ha- they, they had fear back then. Like like you said, Solani decided, like, eventually stopped doing it. Yeah. Now they have less fear, I think, of that kind of stuff happening. Yeah, right? well, it's not as physical. I mean, uh, this... 
well, I shouldn't say not as physical. It's faster, so when they hit, I guess it hurts more. Yeah. But they're a little bit less uh, likely because of the the head hit, uh, you know, the things, the, the suspensions, the fines, and all the rest of it. So yeah. it's uh, they take a little better care in that way. But yeah, they uh, there were more fights in those days, and it was yeah. just a, a bit rougher game, intentionally rougher. Now it's still rough, but not uh, not as meant to be as rough. Well, plus there's the, the fighting is pretty much taken out of the game, right? The which the fighting has been taken. Yeah, out of the game yeah. It's uh, there was a lot of it back when uh, there was What's guys like Jim Kite and uh, Jim Tim Kite. Hunter and Dave Samanko and yeah. some of those fights with uh, Jim Kite and uh, and Tim Hunter. Look yeah. forward to those. They were great fights, and uh, you know I always get a kick out of people saying, "How can you talk about a fight? How can you glorify a fight?" Every time those guys fought, everybody in the in the they place was on their feet. On their feet. Yeah. You don't tell me you weren't enjoying it. So it was hypocritical for people to say that they enjoyed it. It was part of the game. It's less a part of the game now, obviously, yeah. and and that's probably a good thing. But uh, because you'd rather see the speed and stuff, but the fights are pretty exciting too. I, I always found it funny when originally when we started uh, trying to get the game into the U.S. and some of these states. Now it's all over the states, but uh, it used to be like we're trying to get these to the Americans to like the like hockey. Let's get Americans to like the hockey. Let's build the league, and they wanted to take hockey out of the game so that Americans could find hockey interesting. I always thought that was kind of strange. Americans. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the monster truck nation of the yeah, world. You know, know, we want to eliminate yeah. hockey. I know. Or, or but, you know, yeah, it was, yeah. It was a, a strange reception in some ways about the fighting part of it. Some people down there really liked it, like say the monster truck mentality and that yeah. kind of thing. But I can remember being called to do a radio show one day and, uh, and the guy just absolutely attacked me for a half an hour about fighting in the NHL. And I tried to explain why it was going on and that it had been part of the culture of the game forever. He wasn't hearing a word I was saying. Yeah. So I eventually just sat back and let him do the talking. Yeah. <laughs> just hang out. <laughs> I'm going to ask a quick question about play-by-play. Because I was at a Neverville Nighthawks game a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. And do you know Kevin Pauls? Have you heard of him at all? No. No? no. So he's their play-by-play well, guy. Well, you know, I, I know of him, okay. but I don't know him. Yeah. So he's he's their play-by-play guy. He's actually training his daughter right now to do play-by-play as well. So she oh, helps yeah. him out on play-by-play, which, which is really cool. But so me and my kids were at the game, and I got to jump on the headset with him because uh, we were there to promote the game and stuff like that. Me and my kids and my wife were there. And uh, so I was on the headset with him and listening to him call a, like a junior game. Well, it's probably because his dad donated some venison beef jerky to me yesterday. So, or venison jerky. So that helped change the luck of things. There's a shot by McCurdy. Bouncing puck and the Pistons come up with it as they work down the left side. Nice move here is... The quickness of, of, you know, how he had to think on his feet. Like, I'm trying to think on my feet right now. At how quickly he thought on his feet while the game was going on, knowing all the players, all that kind of stuff. How do you practice for that? Like, how do you, how do you even get into it? Well, no, it's actually pretty easy because <laughs> when you're covered, that's your full-time job. Yeah. So when, uh, when it was a game day, when I was doing the Winnipeg Jets, I would go to the skate in the morning. Yeah. And, uh, I mentioned it in the book, there's 40 guys on the ice, 20 of them are Jets. So obviously I'm going to know every one of them. Yeah. And then the example I gave was uh, if the Edmonton Otters were coming, well, you're going to know Paul Coffey and you're going to know Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier, you're going to know who Dave Semenko is, or Ken yeah. Lintzman, uh, and uh, maybe uh, uh, Kevin Lowe. You're going to know some of these guys. Yeah. And so there there might be six or seven guys that 
uh, might cause you to have to look at the program once in a while. But yeah. no, that's that's what people seem to think is the most difficult part, and really, yeah. it's an easy part. Now, when it is difficult, is when you're doing a junior game, so the and, paths. You, and you've not seen these teams before, yeah. and sometimes they don't have names on their jerseys, just numbers. Yeah, and uh, if you're doing it in Winkler, by example, and you're sitting <laughs> at one end, then you can't even see the number because they're coming at you. Yeah. So then it's, uh, here come the flyers out of their own zone. Cause you don't have a clue who has the <laughs> yeah. puck, you know? So you gotta, you gotta fake <laughs> player it. A, it pass it yeah. to player B. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Where's yeah. this no. course? Yeah. No, it, it's really, it's, you know, a lot of people seem to think it's difficult and, yeah. and it's not. Right. I, I'm sure that if you sat down and, and broadcast five or six games at the rink, not in your room here, yeah. at the rink, you'd, you'd notice after five games, you're quite a bit better than you. Right. And I would think it's like any other job. The first game you ever did was, you know, not as easy as it the second one. And it keeps getting easier as you go along after 10 years of doing it. Well, it's like, it's like nothing else. It's like putting on a pair of pants yeah. or getting out of bed. I remember when I started, I, I, I'd always get a sore throat after yeah. the after yeah. a game and I, and somebody told me, cause you're straining too much. So right. I had to be taught that not to do that. Yeah. And, and then it got smoother and then I never had problems with the, with the throat after that. And you grew up with it, right? Cause your dad was, yeah. uh, was he color commentary or did he do? No, he was a uh, play by play. He, uh, he did, uh, hockey in, in Winnipeg with the Winnipeg Warriors back in the day. Back in the day. Yeah. And he did the Phoenix Roadrunners and the Tucson Mavericks for their one year. And he, he did some play by play in Yorkton for the Terriers of the senior days. Oh, and, wow. uh, and there were some pretty good hockey players there at that time too. So I used to listen to a lot of his games and I joined him a lot of times. I watched Billy Mosayenko when I was a little guy yeah. and uh, had the opportunity to, to see how he could bring a house down and how exciting it was. And, and, you, uh, they, and the crowd counts, my dad always told me that the fire marshal in those days was a real friend of hockey. Yeah. And so they far <laughs> exceeded the limit. Some of those nights when, uh, Billy Mosayenko and the Winnipeg Warriors were playing for the Edinburgh cup. So it was, yeah. uh, it was fun. And I got to sit with dad and I got to sit with Cactus Jack. Uh, Cactus yeah. Jack was never identified with hockey, but, uh, so he would generally have dad do the play by play and he would uh, provide the color, which is generally humor. Yeah. And uh, they had a great time and I'd sit with them as a kid and I, wow, is this ever a great way to make a living? My dad's <laughs> getting paid for doing this. Yeah. And I thought the world of Cactus Jack Wells, in fact, I thought he was my uncle for most <laughs> of those early days. Cause he and dad were together a lot and they just seemed to have a great time. And that's what I decided I wanted to do. Yeah. Tell me about the first Winnipeg Jet game that you ever called. I think it's in the book, right? I think. You no, I, I don't think it is. The first, uh, first Jet game I ever did was in Colorado Springs. Okay. Okay. At, uh, they called it the Broadmoor World Arena and it was the Colorado Rockies in those days. Yep. And Don Cherry was the coach okay. of Colorado. And, uh, it was an exhibition game, obviously. And, uh. We went down there and uh, the, the uh, charter flight left at three o'clock in the morning. I did mention it in my book that uh, I hit a cow on my way to Winnipeg that day. And I, <laughs> I showed up uh, to go to this game in a, in a car that was kind of a messed up thing. But anyway, uh, we, we got on the charter about three or four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Flew to Colorado Springs. It was the first time I'd met Friar Nicholson or John Ferguson or Bill Sutherland and Tom McVie. And uh, first time actually I'd ever seen an NHL hockey game. And at that time I was doing color. I did color with Fryer for the yeah. first three years. And, uh, you came on thinking was, you were going to do color, right? Like, Oh yeah, no, I was hired to do color came on and uh, I did that for the first three years. But, uh, then Fryer, his health started giving him issues so they decided yeah. to, to have us trade places. And, uh, yeah. And Fryer was a tremendous color commentator too, yeah. because nobody had more stories. Than, Fryer. than Ken Fryer Nicholson. Yeah. It was always fun to, to watch him uh, entertain the crowds in uh, different places that we went to. 
And they said, uh, if I remember correctly, Cactus Cactus Jack said, "Get the kid's kid." Right? Yeah, that's how. That's that's, what he that's, said. that's why they hired me. Uh, yeah, uh, get the kid's kid. Apparently, what had happened is they had uh, invited people to apply for the job as color commentator because the Jets were going from the WHA to the NHL. They got some applicants, and uh, John Cochran and Ken Nicholson, who were listening to the tapes, apparently didn't like what they what they heard. Yeah. And uh, just uh, the luck of the draw, Cactus Jack happened to be in the building coming in, I guess, for that 5.30 sports cast he yeah. used to do. And uh, he said, what are we going to do? He said, get the kid's kid. He's somewhere in Saskatchewan is what he said. And next thing I knew, they called me and uh, and I wound up here. And you were already doing some play-by-play at No, at that, that time, time I, was, I wasn't. I was doing television in Yorkton. And uh, I was doing news, sports, weather, commercials, variety shows, <laughs> anything, but no play-by-play. So you literally hadn't done a stitch of it, and you just heard your dad do it. No, no, I had done it before. I'd okay. done it for prior. four years right. because I had done uh, radio prior to, to television. And it was a couple of years of uh, senior hockey in Yorkton and then right. a couple of years of the Regina Pats, the same team that, that won the Memorial Cup in 1974 with Dennis Sobchuk and Clark Gillies and... Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they had a good team. Oh, they had a great team. Eddie Stanowski was on that team. Great that was job. like calling an NHL game before they made it to the NHL. Yeah, and you know, and that made it easier for me too because uh, when I did that first game at the Broadmoor World Arena, I fell back a little bit on some of the people I had seen play. Yeah, uh, who had played in the Western Hockey League against the Pats, and they were playing at that particular time. So I got to tell some stories about them, and it helped to. I'd be over until I, until I knew a little bit more about what I was actually watching. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So you did the Jets games until 1996 and then you moved over to Phoenix. So your dad was a Phoenix Roadrunners announcer, you said? Yeah. Dad had been doing the Phoenix Roadrunners and, uh, and, uh, then they, they changed. They were bought out by an outfit from Seattle and they went into the WHA and that didn't work out so well. So when I, dad was still down in Phoenix when I got there, but he wasn't oh, yeah? doing hockey anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah. So do you, do you kind of feel like you followed? Well, it is kind of funny. You <laughs> know, it was, uh, in 1959, my dad left Winnipeg to go to Yorkton to broadcast hockey. Yeah. 1979, I left Yorkton to go to Winnipeg to broadcast <laughs> hockey. So, and then we both wound up uh, doing it in Phoenix and, uh, yeah. So it, it, it did kind of work out in a funny way. Yeah. And your story, um, if you don't mind, uh, can you tell the story about how you got the job in Phoenix? Because I thought that was one of my favorite parts of the book. Oh, yeah. Well, that was... Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to give away the whole book here. No, no, no. I, I don't mind parts. telling the story. I'm just trying to think <laughs> back. On, it was uh, just a situation where the Jets were pulling uh, pulling out and I had no job. Yeah. And I had to do something. And what am I going to do? And uh, so the obvious solution would be to, to go to Phoenix and, and be the voice of the Coyotes. So I, I can remember getting on the plane. I got a plane almost immediately and I, I flew down all the way to, to Minneapolis and then all the way to Phoenix. I've never concentrated so hard in my life. I kept asking <laughs> myself, okay, I'm going to walk in. I'm going to meet this guy. He's going to ask me why I deserve to do these games. So I thought of answers to every conceivable question he could ask me. And then when I did get there, I went uh, the next morning, I went to, do, to the Coyote's office, which at that time was downtown Phoenix. And I saw a receptionist there and I said, uh, is, uh, Sean Hunter in? And she said, uh, yes, uh, he is. Have you got an appointment? Well, I knew with the way she said it, if I didn't have an appointment, I wasn't <laughs> going to get to see the man. So I said, the heck with it. <laughs> I marched right by her, burst into his office. And I said to Sean Hunter, who looked at me like this, he said, there's only one person for the voice of the Phoenix Coyotes and you're looking at him. 
And he said, who the hell are you? <laughs> so, so then, uh, Security. And, and fortunately, fortunately, because I had rehearsed on the plane all the way through, no matter what he asked me, I had a brilliant, I thought brilliant answer for it. And I could yeah. tell I was impressing him. And then we went down the, to his car because he was catching a flight to, to Denver. And all the way down the elevator, and as he's pulling away in the car, I was still talking. I wouldn't stop talking. So <laughs> I kind of had a feeling that I impressed him. And sure enough, a, a week later, because it, it, I mean, it, it could have backfired. He yeah. said, nobody walks into my office like that. You get the heck out of there. Yeah. But, uh, but I, you're I, intimidating. You're, what, well, how tall are you? Uh, well, at that time, I was 6'3". So you're still six. Yeah. <laughs> so you're an intimidating guy and he's sitting at his desk, right? So if you came over. Yeah. And he was, he's, he's, not a, he's not a big man. And with your voice too. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, yeah, I went in bold and uh, it worked. Yeah. That's awesome. What's, um, so fast forward, the Winnipeg Jets get announced, uh, 12 years ago, I was coming back to the NHL with the Winnipeg Jets, the current Winnipeg Jets. Uh, and, um, uh, for me personally, um, there's never been anyone like you to announce games for the Jets. Um, whatever they have now is very good, but it's not the same. I always thought that your level of calling games was a higher and above than what we have been used to. Thank you. Uh, do you, I never understood why you weren't given consideration for the job when the team came back here. Uh, do you have any ideas on that? My only idea on that is, uh, one, uh, it had to be one of two things. Uh, either they just didn't like me. Or I think the reason was they were trying to get away from uh, the old Jets. They yeah. wanted their own thing. They didn't want to be tied in. Uh, they, they, they didn't want to call the team the Winnipeg Jets. Mark Chippen did not want to call them the Jets initially. And uh, it was people demanding, and, and that's what people wanted, so that's what he went with. And I guess going back to me would have been another step uh, toward the past, and I think they were trying to trying to bury that. And, and, uh, They're get trying to carve their own niche type yeah, of thing. Yeah, and, and I understand it. I was disappointed by it. Yeah. And uh, as a result, I didn't watch any games for the first few years. I've just begun watching them now Yeah. because I really wanted to do them. But You didn't uh, miss anything in the first few years. <laughs> were, no, you know what though you got to remember i did the winnipeg jets when they went 30 games without a win <laughs> yeah. so i mean nothing they could have not established uh would have been a surprise to me or nothing anything i wouldn't have uh and that's identified with that's something the fans forget about here like obviously we weren't old enough to know that kind of stuff but there was a time that were really dark years in winnipeg that had really bad teams until oh, they yeah. started making some trades and drafting and uh they got their guy with dave babich in the draft that one year yeah. that they really wanted they got howard chuck uh, i think the year after or two years later yeah dale key in the second the year after because they went from uh, the worst team ever with uh, only with that 30 game winless string to the most improved team ever yep. the following year when in uh, 80 game season, they improved by 48 points. <laughs> they went from 32 points to 80. Yeah. So, and that was with the infusion of Dale Howard, Chuck and Paul McLean and uh, Eddie Stanowski and Doug Sotard and Serge Savard. So yeah. there was a lot of really good additions to that team. Tom Watt was uh, named the new head coach yeah. at that time. Was he coach of the year that year? He was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, deservedly so. The, uh, when the WHA folded and there was that dispersal draft, and we weren't allowed to keep that team intact. Um, do you think given that team staying together as a unit would have competed against the NHL teams of that, that year or that, that series of years? I don't think there's any doubt about it. Yeah. I mean, they were, and, uh, I asked uh, a lot of people that same question. And so did Fryer. Yeah. I remember when, uh, when Bobby Hull was still around and, 
And uh, we did a radio show with Bobby Hull and Anders Hedberg and Alf Nilsson uh, about five years ago. And I asked them that question. Yeah. And they, all three of them, all three of them said, yes, we would have competed with the Montreal Canadiens that year. And yeah. that was the Canadian team that only lost eight games. That was the best team they ever had, probably, at least uh, since Howie Morenz or Rocket <laughs> Richard. So, uh, yeah, and uh, but uh, Bobby Hull and, uh, and Alf Nilsson both said that they thought the Canadians were better on the blue line, yeah. but that they were equal to them in every other way. So, no, I mean... Uh, they may not have won the, the the series had they had a series with them, but they certainly would have been a top five team in the NHL. I it would have been cool question. to see the winner of the WHA play the Stanley Cup. Yeah, but you got to realize the Canadians would have had everything to lose yeah. and absolutely nothing to gain. And the NHL would have too. Then the NHL. So they're not going to run that risk. Yeah. That would have been a total humiliation if yeah. they'd have, if they'd have done that and lost to the Jets. Well, we talked about this last week, whereas the NHL didn't really want those four teams. That was just their price to pay to fold the WHA. And since then, the Hartford's gone, Quebec's gone, uh, Winnipeg left, and then since they got the Atlanta Thrashers. And you could argue that, that the Edmonton Oilers are only here because of the success they had with Gretzky and Messi and Curry, et cetera, right? Yeah, well, they uh, it was a way of folding the league. That uh, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was a hostile takeover, really. Yeah, just to just to get those players into the NHL and get those players. Yeah, because if you remember the draft too, I mean, they they the WHA teams not only didn't get to protect many players, but they also got the last pick of the draft. And, uh, yeah, they were the yeah. last four picks. Uh, so I mean, the Jets walked into that uh, with uh, they got to protect two goaltenders, and they got to protect uh, Morris Lukowicz and Scott Campbell. If I remember correctly, were the two they, they okay. and and they they did. Uh, there was a few people that were left over that uh, that they managed to hold on to a little bit later on. That would have been, uh, I guess, uh, Willie Lindstrom and Peter Sullivan and a few others. But, but uh, as far as overall talent was concerned, no, they were they were down a few courts. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a conspiracy theory question. I hope you don't Uh-oh. mind. We, we we do a little thing. We do different things in the podcast. <laughs> we we've talked about. Have you ever heard of the Mandela effect? Yes. Yeah. So we've talked about the Mandela effect. We talk about like just random things. And I brought this up a couple times on the podcast. You were saying how the Canadians were winning. We knew that the Oilers were winning. The Jets were super competitive. The Flames were super competitive. The Oilers won a whole bunch of years. The Flames won. The Oilers won. And then there was a lockout year. The Montreal Canadiens came back. Or the Montreal Canadiens won the, the Stanley Cup in 94. Correct? That was the year that Patrick won. <laughs> was in goal. Yeah. And he was absolutely phenomenal. They went overtime 10 times and they won all 10 games. Yeah. 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 And it'll never be done again. So that was the last time a Canadian team won. So here's my conspiracy theory question for you. (laughs) That was also the year that Batman took over the NHL, uh, almost like mid season that year. And then we haven't won a Stanley cup in Canada since then. My conspiracy theory question is, do you think they're related? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't want to answer that's fine no no I, I i i think it's a coincidence more than anything but one of the things that happened is obviously the financial part of it because yeah. the canadian dollar got involved there yeah. and, and there's a lot more money in new york than there is in winnipeg and calgary let's face it, it yeah uh, but uh no i think it was more coincidence than anything else and the american dollar uh had a lot to do with it and uh I I'm I don't think for a minute that Gary Bettman's a big fan of Canada. Yeah. But uh I don't think for a minute either that uh, it's a conspiracy. Well, I I, I mean <laughs> they 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 got Connor McDavid in Edmonton, so yeah, Edmonton and, uh, got every number one draft. Yeah, yeah. Years. So I mean it's uh 
<laughs> and the question is how long he's going to stay there, right? Um, there's a, the, speaking of, and I'm I'm on the same page with you. I don't yeah, think there's a conspiracy. I think it's Canadian dollar. <laughs> Batman was brought in to stabilize the league. Money wise, they're very stable. They make a lot of money, and by you know the there's so much taxes in Canada. It's hard for uh, Canadian players to want to play here. There's a story Tavares in the news right now where he's in court against the Canadian government because they want to take 38% of some signing bonus, some $50 million signing bonus. And he's like, no, no, no. Those are the kind of problems we should all have, right? Yes. But, but again, if you, but if you, but if you're in Florida, if you play for the Panthers, or you pay for the lightning, you know, that's not 38%. It's not 13%. It might be two. Right or one or zero, so like it doesn't matter how much money you make, you want to keep it all. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but there's another way of looking at it too. If you take uh, the the contracts that Hellebuck and Shifley signed, yeah, they call them eight and a half million U.S. That's eleven and a half million in Canada, yeah. and that's the money they're spending while they're here. Yeah. So. There might be uh, higher taxes, but there's also more money to be spent. So yeah. it's, uh, I don't know how you relate it really. It's, uh, the cost it's, of living here is also way lower and, than yeah, it, in it's, Florida. It's, it costs less certainly than New York. Yeah. I know when I, when I traveled with uh, different hockey teams, we got more per diem when we went to New York than we did yeah. anywhere else. Yeah. Because uh, just a simple hamburger in those days where it was $2 somewhere else was $10 there. Yeah. So it's, but, those guys don't worry about stuff like that. They're driving Lamborghinis no matter where they're playing. Yeah. Speaking of traveling and following the team or calling the team, what was your favorite city to call a game for the Jets in on the road? Well, I always liked going to uh, Montreal. Yeah. The great place. Uh, the forum was, was something special to go into. And it was the way I kind of had envisioned it when I was wa- watching it in black and white as a kid. But Chicago Stadium had an atmosphere unlike any other. Just the sound and the way it carried, and the organ they would play, and and uh, the guy who uh, sang the anthem was was phenomenal, and the whole building would shake and they would sing, and uh, yeah. it, it got you going. It really got you going. So, and Boston was was good, and in later years I really enjoyed going to Nashville. I think it was more for what was going on uh, in town <laughs> and, and then at the rink. But uh, and Vancouver was always fun to go to because I always liked the city and I got uh, my brothers there. So there were lots of places I, I really enjoyed going yeah. to. And you know, it was funny because a lot of the players used to look forward to going to Toronto. I never looked forward to going to Toronto. No. I was all by myself whenever we went because they all knew people there. So many of them were from there or they played with people there or uh, had been with the media with people. I didn't know anybody there. I would go to a movie by myself or something. <laughs> <We're in Toronto. laughs> and uh, so that was probably the place that I, I didn't enjoy the the most but uh and and i didn't like new jersey either for the simple fact uh i I couldn't see the game they had me so far away oh yeah (laughs) oh yeah the the uh the vantage broadcast booth new jersey Jersey. was the worst in those days and uh there were times in san jose too san jose could be uh, you never knew sometimes they would put you way up in the rafters and other times they would give you a great seat it all depended i guess on how many broadcasts were being done and and how significant they thought you were (laughs) <laughs> what was it like broadcasting at the Civic Center in Ottawa? Oh, that was that was good. Is I yeah, that was close to the ice. Because you were on, was it on but the wall? It, it seemed to me though that you had to open up a, a glass. Like, yeah, like you're in a cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> you had to open up this door and stick your head through. And and the color man had his own cupboard door too, so it was kind of a a different feel there. But uh, kind of old school. Yeah, it was really it was it was. I like going to the old uh, smaller rinks. Like the one they got now in Phoenix. I would love to do a broadcast out of a building like that. And the little one. Because, yeah, because it's great when you're close to the ice. You know, I had the opportunity to do some junior hockey. You can hear 
people talking to one another and yeah. you're close to the action. And uh, it was that way in the Boston Garden, you were close to the action and to a degree, the Montreal Forum. And I always thought when they were doing game, we were doing games at the old Winnipeg Arena that I had the best seat in the entire NHL. I loved the broadcast location there. It was right over center ice, the way that uh, the catwalk uh, took you there to the uh, the, the overhanging uh, booth, and yeah. it was just a perfect spot. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I, I always looked at the catwalk in the old Winnipeg Arena. It always scared me, right? Because <laughs> you would see all... Because in the upper deck, it was such a deep, like incline right so you're sitting there but you look straight across and you see the guys walking across the catwalk getting into that booth and i'm like man that's just you know it was uh the, at the pacific coliseum in vancouver though that was a catwalk oh, yeah we used to uh have, invite people to be our guests in intermissions and lots of times they wouldn't show up because they wouldn't cross they them. wouldn't cry because you had to walk right over the ice <laughs> and it was it was wooden yeah. and it had knot holes in it Oh, so you'd man. be walking and you could see the ice. It didn't bother me and it didn't bother some people, but there, I remember we had a guest, I can't remember who it was one time. He said, how am I going to get out of here? I can't go back. <laughs> There's only one way back. We had, to, we had to basically hold his hand to take him back across when, uh, when the game was over. He stayed with us for the rest of the game. He so. just hung out. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was different, but yeah. And another thing I remember about Pacific Coliseum in Vancouver, remember the voice Tom McVie had? Yeah. Yeah. I could hear him. With the headset on, I could hear oh, him yeah? bellowing to his team. He was on the other side of the ice, I don't know, a couple hundred feet away. It didn't matter. You could hear him. Yeah. I mean, the building at times was was quiet, I guess, but he had an incredible, incredible yeah. voice. We uh, we actually went to Vancouver, and I had no idea that Pacific Coliseum was still there and being used for games. So it's you could walk on the catwalk right now if you wanted to go take a flight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and Old Maple Leaf Gardens is still there. They're They're using it. It's half a uh, half a grocery store and a half a rink underneath it now. Yeah, they kept the ice plants. There's there's some I think what was there one in Montreal too. There's one the Cow Palace is still there in San Jose too. It's in San Francisco. I never didn't realize that either. Yeah. Um, and then what were we saying? Montreal. Montreal is still there. No idea. The Forum. Yeah. Uh, didn't we say we were gonna walk to it after the game and we were like oh that's too far we're not gonna go all the way there i don't remember that i'm pretty sure the i don't know if it's too. i don't know if it's there or not no yeah. olympic stadium is olympic stadium that was still there I think. yeah yeah so they don't make arenas like they used to though like i don't feel like they're as like loud and obnoxious it, as they used to be but it's because everything was a tin box like the winnipeg arena was one big tin box <laughs> with very little en exit ways or entryways and it was one big yeah it was square just like the chicago forum or, or chicago stadium one yeah. tin box that sound couldn't go well anywhere. and all the people were located uh in seats yeah now there's so many private boxes that kind yeah. of yeah. separates everybody and and so the i suppose that it would affect the the sound in the building the roof but there's nothing yeah there's nothing like the atmosphere at the, the winnipeg arena when we had those white there it was did that compare to incredible. the Chicago Stadium for sound? Like, what's the, what was the loudest arena that you would say? Regular season, the loudest arena was Chicago Stadium. Although San Jose back in the day was pretty loud too. Yeah. And uh, but at playoff time, there was nothing as loud as the Winnipeg Arena. Not that I encountered anyway. Yeah. Yeah, the Winnipeg Arena. I I only got to go to one playoff game. It was the I think it was '88 against the Oilers, and I got to sit a front row in the upper deck and. I always said like that was the best seat in the arena because you're like sitting on top of the ice basically, right? Yeah. You yeah. could see everything happening. And I'm guessing that was your, like you, you doing play by play, you got to sit in the best seat in the arena a lot of the time. At, at the Winnipeg arena in particular. Yeah. It was just, uh, the vantage point was, was phenomenal. 
Yeah. You couldn't miss anything. You could see the whole ice and uh, right hanging over center and looking straight down. It was good. It was really good. I remember I remember in 1990 and I was 14 years old and my friends and I got our face painted with Jets blue and red and we went to that uh, game, uh, triple overtime game and uh, Dave Ellett scored from the point and that place, I've never heard anything <laughs> yeah. so loud in my entire entire life when Ellett scored up 3-1 we're like driving home and trying to swerving around Edmonton Oilers fans and you know trying to knock a couple of them off and uh that was the high points of uh, my Jets uh, fandom and of course I don't want to talk about what, what happened after that but I, I'll, I'll always remember that's my number one memory of, of being a Jet fan that, uh, br- that brings up uh some strange conversations at home because we had a strange situation happen there my uh, son was quite young at the time, and he was at the game with uh, his mother. And now it was a school night. So after the first overtime, she insisted they go home. Luke is still upset about it. I think he was eight years old or something like that. He still gives it to her about that. So they get home, and they got the, rad- they got the radio on, and just as they pull into the garage, they hear me say, he scores! Yes, yeah, so uh, yeah, there's been some banter about that over the years. I, I remember... Um, I was sent to bed early in the fi- final game against Calgary when we finished that series off. I can't remember which one year, year it was. And I woke up and like, I, we have good news and bad news. The good news is we won the series. Oh, great. What's the bad news? Howard Chuck got cross-checked in the, in the ribs. Is that McCowan? Yeah. Jamie McCowan? Yeah, Jamie McCowan. Yeah. Actually, Dale kind of leaped too. It was, you know, it, <laughs> McCowan cross-checked. There was no question, but Dale jumped as he, as he often did when he crossed the blue line and, it was it was a really bad. So it got him right that. underneath. Yeah, it got him right in the rib cage, and yeah. uh, it, it was cracked ribs, which I guess is the, the equivalent of a broken one. You can't breathe. Yeah, you can't breathe. You can't play hockey. Yeah, exactly. I remember we uh, we went to hometown hockey. I think it was the first year hometown hockey came to Winnipeg. It was in Selkirk actually, and Jamie McCallan was the was one of the uh, guys that they brought to sign autographs, and I'm like. This is just bad PR. Yeah, he was uh, he was the villain there for a while in Winnipeg. For yeah, sure. yeah. He <laughs> wasn't he wasn't liked. But <laughs> but speaking of Winnipeg, so players you saw like you were saying, Hellebuck signed, Shifley signed. Players are signing in Winnipeg long term for the most part. Um, you you talked about Mario Marwa in one of the uh, in one of the chapters about how he was not happy about coming to Winnipeg originally. And then he lived here and he became a Winnipegger essentially. Right? Yeah. He, he, he was a, he was a grouch. Yeah. <laughs> first year. Well, actually that was his, his persona too. You, you know, he put on the grouch thing like uh, Randy Carlisle did or like Fire Nicholson did. Yeah. And underneath though, he was a pretty good guy. Mario was, but that first year he, he was unhappy. He didn't want to leave Quebec. It was where he would, and he, that was his home. He was the captain of the Nordic. I can understand it. Yeah. And he got traded away. You feel like you're rejected. And, uh, but then uh, once he got to appreciate Winnipeg, he didn't want to leave. And yeah. of course he was upset when they traded him and they traded him back to Quebec city. <laughs> they traded him right total, back. total reversal. Yeah. Remind, so, rem, remind me before you go on, who was he traded for? I forget. Was it Robert Picard? One Maybe, of the deals yeah. was, uh, yeah, I think it was with, for Picard. Like when you say that they sent him back, who he was, who he got traded? No, at the beginning when he came to Winnipeg. Oh, okay. I couldn't oh, remember. and he came, uh, yeah, uh. I can't think of it. But off. that was when the Jets were trying to make a run that year, right? Gord Donnelly was involved in there somehow. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah, so he changed his mind and liked Winnipeg. 
you came, you lived here, you grew up in Saskatchewan and that type of thing, and you moved to Phoenix for the Coyotes, but now you're back. What brings you? Oh, I love the winter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, it's home and it's, it's where, uh, you know, our sons are, yeah. our grandkids are. And, uh, and also I was only 57 when I left Phoenix. So I, yeah. I, I was, uh, still had intentions of working and I was only, uh, licensed to do what I was doing. You and, didn't knock down the door here though? <laughs> no, 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 I didn't knock down the door. Maybe I should have, maybe that would have worked, but, uh, no, I, I didn't, I didn't take that, uh, you didn't take that approach and that, that approach this particular, I kind of thought they knew who I was and yeah. that, that if they yeah. wanted me, they'd let me know. I, I did let them know that I was interested. Obviously yeah. I had to do that. And, yeah. uh, but it, uh, that didn't, that didn't uh, work out. But Winnipeg is a great place. Like we, we talk about it that, you know, some people that watch aren't from Winnipeg, right? So they wouldn't know what it's like here, but a lot of people choose Winnipeg as their home afterwards. Like Shifley and Hellebuck have signed for an eight year deal. And yeah. it seems like the Jets have been able to sign these players. Do you think it's a draw to the organization or do you think it's a draw to like cost of living or just to winning right now? I think it's a draw to the organization and I think it's a draw to winning. I, yeah. uh, I can recall when, uh, the Jets had some good teams, uh, back in the mid eighties yeah. and there were a lot of people who wanted to play for that team when they had Dale and, uh, and McLean and Boschman and Steen and, and the whole works of them. There were, yeah. there was a popular landing spot. There were people who wanted to play there. I knew of a couple, uh, in fact, uh, one guy, and I don't think he'll mind me too. Mind you, he was from Winnipeg, uh, was, uh, uh, what's the heck's name? I played with the Calgary flames. Um, anyway, I'll get, I'll get back to that. But, uh, so it's, it was, it's, they want to win. Players want to win. Yeah. And, uh, so if they can win a Stanley cup in Winnipeg, it, it might sound a lot better than Phoenix and where they, you know, it's, it's, it's up to the individual. Some guys like the sun. Yeah. Some guys, uh, I remember one time we, we went on a golf, uh, we went on a, a hockey, uh, trip from Phoenix and I can still recalling uh, Wayne Gretzky, who was the coach at that time, standing at the elevator and saying, I've never seen this before. W one of the players brought his clubs <laughs> on a road trip. <laughs> and it was, uh, I guess, uh, about March or April, we were playing a game in Edmonton, and a guy had brought his clubs with him, and they were sitting outside the elevator. So I don't know who it was. I never did find out. Yeah. I had a suspicion. I don't know who it was. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It's so... Uh, yeah, well, and there's great golfing in Phoenix. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. They, they were bringing their clubs to Edmonton. I, I can't quite figure that out. <laughs> in, the middle, yeah. in the middle of February. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so switching gears a little bit, um, you were in the movie Goon. Is that correct? You played the play-by-play uh, the -play individual, correct? Yeah, what I was did. it like uh, in that playing something you did for a living, but in a movie form? It was fun. Yeah, I, I, uh, I totally enjoyed it. And it was, uh, something different to do. You know, you don't normally have scripted play-by-play. -play. Yeah. So there was a certain amount of that, but they told me, they gave me liberties. They said, this is just a guide that you can, you can go off in, in your own little way as yeah. you want. I found that the toughest part was trying to invent names as you're going along <laughs> because you find your mind will go, if you say green, the next thing's going to come to mind is going to be brown. You say Smith, the next thing's going to come to Jones. So you're trying to think of new names. Well, they, they flew me to Toronto eventually to do another take about some more play-by-play. -play, and I was on the plane home from Toronto and I thought, you 
dumbbell. I figured out what I should have done, but it was too late. I should have thought about all my old high school buddies. Yeah. They would have, you know, I could have had, uh, here's Schindel, the Ford, the Golden, and uh, yeah, to Balaco, I, I, you know, but I didn't think of it in time. Yeah. And uh, so, meanwhile, I'm, I'm trying to invent names as I'm going along. It, 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 anyway, that was the hardest part. Yeah. The, uh, that actually brings me uh, a memory just when you said that. Um, I remember for a year and a half, I used to think that Peter Tagnelli and Eddie were a defense pairing. And they, <laughs> they were two people. And then it, it took me literally like 18 months to figure out they were at once per one person. I, I was the exact I was the exact same way. And I actually thought they were two people until my dad brought me home a Tagli and Eddie stick. You thought it was Tagli and yeah, Eddie? Yes, and Eddie. Yes. Oh, Tagli, like a defense well, Peter, Tag, It could have been three people, Peter. Tagli and Eddie. <laughs> so I just thought it was Tagli and Eddie. And I'm like, these guys are awesome together. They're always together. They're like passing well. Nope. They're both healthy. <laughs> They're on the ice at the same time. But that's the that's the power of radio. Right? Yeah, can't see it. Because we, yeah. we're not watching yeah. these games. Yeah. You, you picture somebody and uh, yeah, you don't know what they look like, but you got your own your own image of them. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, I think radio was a lot of fun because uh, you do, you paint a picture. Yeah. And uh, you're totally on your own. You don't have somebody in your ear saying, well, we'd uh, like you to talk now about uh, the ticket sales that are coming up or uh, a particular player that maybe you hadn't been too impressed by in that game. Yeah. You want to talk about somebody else, which you could do on radio because you, you picked your own spots. Yeah. And you talked about in your book how a lot of the announcers now are talking about stats all the time. Yeah. And they're talking about like, this player has gone five games without a goal and every player that goes five games or more has, you know, like all that kind of weird stuff. Back in the day, you used to go more based on like feel of the game, if I remember correctly, right? Well, I try to. Yeah. I, uh, I always thought that, uh, if I didn't sound like I was enjoying the game, yeah. the people that are listening aren't going to sound, aren't, aren't going to enjoy the game. Yeah. It's, it just, it should be contagious. And so uh, I tried to get into it and there were some games that uh, weren't all that exciting. And so then you have to kind of kick yourself in the butt a little bit and say, Hey, you got to put on a show here, man, get yep. at it. So, uh, I used to do something stupid though. I used to turn up my headset volume. So it would be screaming in my ears and now I'm paying a price for it. I got severe oh, tinnitus okay. as a result, but, uh, but it got me more into the game. And I, I see disc jockeys do that. I remember when I was, uh, working on radio and I'd walk into stations, the disc jockey would have the music on so loud as you're going to regret this one day. Yeah. And you do, you do, but, yeah. uh, but it was a way to get into the game more if, uh, if it was quiet and slow. Yeah. And if I was in a place like New Jersey where there's no sound, then I had to just listen to myself really loud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you, and you also say that Homerism is a big problem in hockey these days with a lot of the announcers in the States, like Fox sports. I, I we go down to Florida and I'll watch hockey on Fox sports or on some of the other channels. And the Homerism is like through the roof a lot of the times. Right. And you said that you tried to keep it even keeled in terms of like for both teams and you're trying to announce for both teams very similarly. Right. Yeah. I think it's uh, part of that as being a different era too, because in my day, you were hired by the radio station or yeah. the TV station and you did the game and you tried to be neutral, yeah. even though obviously inside <laughs> you had a cheering interest. But now most of them are hired, uh, a lot of uh, are hired by the hockey team. When I yeah. was in Phoenix, I was actually an employee yeah. of the Phoenix Coyotes. Uh, that didn't change my approach. I still yeah. wanted to sound like uh, I wasn't. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, they didn't seem to mind that too much. Yeah. And I think but, that's one of the reasons why that Ovechkin call that you did 
is literally your call, even though it was a it was a Washington play. Now picked up by Ovechkin. Here he comes. Ovechkin trying to drag it through. Him now. Yeah, it had uh, had that goal happened in certain other buildings, the call, the, the guy who called it wouldn't have been as excited as I was. Yeah, right. you're right. right. Yeah, you're and, right. And and like they would have just used the Washington call because the Washington call would have been probably the most exciting yeah. one if it wasn't yourself calling it, right? But it's a testament to yourself that they use your voice on that call for a player that isn't even your team. Yeah, I've... Uh... I've always been kind of flattered by that, uh, that it's always that replay that they use. Yeah. Cause I have heard the Washington call and there was, there was nothing wrong with it, Yeah, it just, but obviously they considered mine better. And I well, it drags it through. Like who comes <laughs> up with that in like in a second, like you yeah. literally, and like I said at the beginning, you have seconds to figure these things out and drags it. Like this isn't even a play that you've ever seen before. Yeah. Right. It was, it was great. I, I, me and Tim were talking about it a couple episodes ago, actually. So, uh, speaking of homerisms, I don't know if you ever caught Phil Esposito in Tampa. Um, <laughs> have you ever heard him do a radio color? No, no, actually, you, I you have to. You have to go on XM Radio, catch a Tampa Lightning uh, game. It's Fox Sports, right? Uh, well, it's, he does the local Tampa, yeah, the to- uh, radio, the Tampa whatever. Broadcast. And so, if you want a homer. It's like Uncle Phil on his, if you can imagine, uh, you know, grumpy Uncle Phil on a couch doing yeah. color. It's him. Okay. And it's, it's the most homer you'll ever see. It's hilarious. It's it's entertaining. It's that that much. So. And I thought I just thought I'd mention it because yeah. if you ever get a chance to. But, yeah, yeah we, we don't get a lot of those broadcasts here, right? We have to go to the States to actually to see them because we'll, all we get here is Sportsnet, TSN, yeah. or local, right? So yeah. we don't, and I think that some of the guys here do a good job of, keeping it less homer but you you got Edmonds on the on the call and he you can tell the difference between a goal yeah, for us yeah, and a goal can, for yeah, them yeah. right so yeah. and, and you know what to tell you the truth Edmonds, you know it's it's a natural thing though it really yeah. is you had to it, i had to kind of uh, temper myself a little bit i suppose yeah. you would say but only in the early days and then it got to be totally yeah. totally habit like riding a bike yeah, yeah yeah but there's no question, though, that you do get more excited when, when the team you're covering scores, yeah. especially when they're playing a, a playoff game against the Edmonton Oilers, the Calgary Flames. Yeah. It was great. It was it was fun to be uh, fun to be at, and yeah, it was it was a great time. Speaking of which, what was the favorite your favorite game you ever called? If you were to pick a number one, what would that be? Well, I, I guess it would be the one you already mentioned when Dave Ellett scored that double overtime goal. I think we all thought that finally. They were going to slay the dragon and move on past the Edmonton Oilers, but yeah. uh, as it turned out, they didn't win a game again. But uh, yeah. no, that was uh, that was the the most exciting moment. But uh, the Solani season was exciting from beginning to that end, season. and a season where uh, where Dale Howarchuk joined the team and they had that tremendous improvement. I mean, it just was uh, such a weight lifted off everybody after what had happened the year before. Yeah, that uh, there were some some great times, you know. I'm sure if you're someone from Edmonton or something, you think, well, the highlight is a double overtime game in a series you lost. I mean, because it was a little different there, yeah. but uh, there was a, a real feel for the team here, a closeness that uh, the people had. They identified with it, and uh, I think people got a little frustrated at times. Then they'd get excited, only be let down again, and yeah. you kept pulling for the little guy. It was like the uh, the train, I guess, that uh, little the, train. The yeah. Only- problem with the Jets was they were in the division with the Oilers. Well, yeah, because uh, I don't think there's any question that uh, they were one of the top uh, three or four teams in the entire National Hockey League in 1985. For that right. one year, that was the one that year. That was their yeah. best year. 
And yeah. uh, that, and I mentioned that in the book that I I was led to believe, and, and a lot of people believed that they would win it all that year. Yeah. And of course, uh, what happened with Dale. But in the final analysis, the biggest difference that year was Grant Fuhr played goal for Edmonton. And Brian Hayward played goal for Winnipeg, yeah. and and uh, not taking anything away from Brian Hayward, although it certainly sounds like I just did. He was a, <laughs> a, he was a National Hockey League goaltender, yeah. but Grant Fuhr was an elite National yeah. Hockey League goaltender, and it was like trying to beat Patrick Waugh in a playoff game. You couldn't do it. I mean, the the and the Oilers, of course, they had the firepower in the first two periods to score a bunch of goals, yeah. and then when they decided to to tie things down, well, there was Fuhr. And if you remember correctly, uh, if Fuhr was somehow injured, we had they had Andy Moog behind him too. Yeah. So they they went and Bill Ranford after that. Yeah, that was a couple years. Yeah, that was the last year Fuhr was there. Bill Ranford was his. Yeah. So yeah, it it would have been interesting, you know, if if some of the goaltenders that they had later on had been there at that time, uh, Essenza or uh, Habi Bulin. Yeah. uh, You know. uh, and later on, I got to watch a great goaltender in Phoenix and Sean Burke. And you get to see people like that playing. You say, wow, what a difference that kind of goaltending makes. And they're seeing it right now with Connor Hellebuck. Can you imagine Connor yeah. Hellebuck with that team? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, and- we were we were talking about even, forget the Jets. Like the Jets didn't win the 15 years in 1.0. And now in the 12 years, we haven't come close to a couple. Well, that one year in 2018, we kind of came close to it. But not just in Winnipeg. In the combined 27 years, you have places like Toronto. Uh, with the Maple Leafs, who have star talent, uh, uh, who haven't won in how many years? We talk about that all the time, the right? Sixties, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it's <laughs> been sixty some odd years, almost seventy years for Toronto. Or in basketball, you have the Sacramento Kings, seventy-one years. Detroit Lions in the playoffs now, where they they had that big lead on San Francisco, and now they're out. They haven't won in close to seventy years too. Cleveland with the Guardians. So you have it's it's hard to win a championship in all leagues. Forget Winnipeg. Well, it is, but you got to do the math too. You know, thirty-two teams in a league, so. If you win three Stanley Cups in a century, you've done really well. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's very true. I'm going to ask you a question that you don't probably don't know the answer to, but you might have a bit more insight than I or Greg does. Uh, and, and we talked about this last week in 1979 when the Winnipeg Jets entered the NHL from the WHA. Uh, Wayne Gretzky was traded to from the Indianapolis Racers to the Edmonton Oilers because Indianapolis needed some $700,000 or some money infusion. And there's a story that I heard that's kind of been now in mythology where yeah. the, the the infamous backgammon game between Michael Gabotti, uh and Peter Pocklington, sorry, not Peter Pocklington, but... Um, uh, the Indianapolis individual who the GM was. Oh yeah, um, Nelson Scalbania. Nelson Scalbania. Um, and the story, of course, and I don't know how true it was, was that Gabadi did not play backgammon, so he lost that and he ended up being traded to the Edmonton Oilers. Do you have any other insight as to how true that story is and how close Gretzky actually came to coming to Winnipeg? Well, I I, I did hear a story about a backgammon game and I know that Barry Shankro talked about it, but it is so convoluted and I've heard so many different uh, versions of it that I, I don't want to even talk about it because I, I don't know. I yeah. really don't know. It it uh, It is something though that, that should be checked into and and uh, I should definitely look into that. But as far as how close he came to being a Jet, Jets had first dibs. Yeah. Nelson Scalvania called uh, Ben Hatskin and offered him Wayne Gretzky, and I think they wanted $100,000 for him, which was a lot of money in those days. Yep. And uh, so Ben Hatskin, as I understand, uh, went to uh, his uh, general manager at the time and and asked uh, Rudy Pillis what he thought, and Rudy Pillis apparently said, no, he's not big enough. He's not going to make it in the National Hockey League. He's yeah. too skinny. 
So they said, okay. And uh, Peter Pocklington jumped on it, paid the hundred grand and the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy how one move could have changed any well, franchise yeah, at that time, yeah. right? You know, it, it's true. But sometimes when you think of it, it, it would have been great having Gretzky here, obviously. But there's other people who wouldn't have been here if they'd had Gretzky. Yeah. They wouldn't have had the early draft picks that got them Dave Babbage and Dale Howard, yeah. by example. So it would have been a different makeup to the team. So Gretzky may have been on a bit of an island here yeah. in those days. And, and of course, when he got to Edmonton, he wasn't because he was there with Messier. And later, Coffee came along and, yeah. and they had the goaltending that you spoke of earlier. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, and, and also, uh, Kevin Lowe was there from the early days too. So he had some talent that he was with yeah. and, uh, he would not have had that kind of talent had he shown up in Winnipeg in 1979. Yeah. Best goalie you ever called. Well, that I saw on a regular basis was Grant Fuhr. Okay. But, uh, that I've seen, uh. That gave you fits calling. Like somebody who you like had to like call his name so many times because he's making all the saves. Yeah, that was Grant Fuhrer because, I mean, the Jets were so offensive in those days when they had uh, Howarchuk and Steen and Boschman and Smale yep. and and uh, the, the 6.30 goal guys, Brian Mullen, Paul McLean, uh, Dave Babich, Randy Carlisle on the blue line. They were firing pucks at that game yep. all night. They'd get 40 shots regularly. I remember one, one game I did, uh, I think it was a playoff game, and uh, the shots on goal at the end of the first period were 21 to 7 for the Jets. And the score was 3 nothing Edmonton. <laughs> and that was the years of like smaller pads and like smaller yeah. equipment. The goalies yeah. were tiny back yeah. then. So yeah. he's making 21 saves in a period. You know, it's funny. And I, I, I hesitate to tell this story because it sounds like he was bragging. But I was there and he was not bragging. He was just being factual. Grant Fuhr was a goaltending coach with the Phoenix Coyotes when I was there. Okay. And he and I often would have breakfast on the road. And we'd often hearken back to the days of uh, the mid-80s and the series that they had with Winnipeg. And he had a lot of respect for a lot of the players on the Jets. And he loved playing in Winnipeg. And obviously, good reasons. He played great here. But uh, one day I said to him, I said, you know what the biggest difference between the mid-80s Oilers and the mid-80s Jets was? He looked me straight in the eye and said, the goaltending. And I said, yes. And he was just being honest. That's all. And it was totally yeah. honest. And, uh, and I remember talking to Dave Ellett and Paul McLean and, and a lot of other people too, uh, uh, who were here for the heritage thing. And they all said the same thing. Paul yeah. Coffey said the same thing. Didn't, the goaltending was the biggest difference. And Fuhr, Ranford played in that game. Did Fuhr play in that game too? The, in which, the heritage game when they had the old timers? Uh, Fuhr was I there. Don't I don't know if he played, but he was He there. may have been golfing. <laughs> so Laddie looked like he could still play and it was only like two years after he had already re after he yeah he, he had, he had, he had the funny thing you mentioned Fuhr uh in that game where Jaminov scored those five goals in that tie in LA he uh, Fuhr was the goaltender for the Kings if I'm not correct really? if I'm not mistaken I believe so yeah not Rudy uh, I thought it was Fuhr. I could be wrong. His fourth of the game beating Grant Fuhr who had come on in relief for the Kings but Shamnov was saving his best for last. Sent it to the blue line, and now down the right side, Shamnov looking again. He shoots, he scores! What a move! His fifth of the game! I didn't know if you played for the Kings. I know he played for Buffalo, and he took Buffalo on that big run back in the day, too. Yeah, he played with St. Louis uh, as well. Yeah. Fuhr did, so... Uh, 
I don't remember him playing bit. for LA, but I, yeah, I, I you can may be right. The, uh, but was Gretzky with the Kings in that uh, in that game? You know, I I wasn't at that game. Right. That was when I was doing television. Oh, okay, and, uh, right. so I didn't I didn't actually see the the five goal performance by Jamnov because at that time we weren't doing all the games right. on yeah. television. So, uh, is it weird to think that back in the day, we only saw like two games a month on TV versus <laughs> now we see every game. Now you see every game and, uh, and it's easy yeah. to be super critical of the team when you see every game on TV now. Right. So you get a lot more criticism. Whereas when we listen to it on the radio, we, we thought there was two guys, Tegley and Eddie. Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well now, now the added issue is not only do you see more games, but you can complain about to millions of people on the internet at yeah. one particular time. Now, if you had, if you were upset about the jets, you might be told five people at the one at the grocery store, maybe you talk to your uncle yeah. and then your best yeah. friend, you complain to four people. Now you complain to 4 million people in yeah. five seconds, right? Yeah. So, yeah. You get yeah. your keyboard warriors giving it their thing and uh, yeah. Yeah. This is awesome. Well, I don't, do you have any other questions at all? I know that I want to be uh, very cognizant of. Uh, no, I, I, I just have here. to say it's been an honor to, to talk to you. And like, I wasn't kidding before when I said, you know, you, you are my childhood. You are our childhood. Yeah. And growing up, nothing, no voice could I associate with that than your voice. And yep. like he said about about uh, listening to every single game, like you said, we only watched. There's only a couple of games on TV, so we listened to it, and we could imagine the games. And you are the reason why we could imagine so vividly everything that actually happened, whether it was in Boston or New York or Chicago. Um, it, that's just that memory sticks so much into my my head and in, in, in our past, right? So it's just such a thrill to actually talk to you and, and, and see you today. He has two loves. Sandberg. Well, yeah. sorry, three. I'll I'll include Tammy, yeah. your wife. <laughs> Better not forget Tammy. <laughs> four. Uh oh. Better not tell Tammy about the so four. So outside one. of the family, he's got two yeah. loves. He actually texted me this the other day, and I already knew that you were coming. And uh, we we had a clip from you uh, talking about Dale Howard check on our last podcast, and I I put it in there on purpose because I knew you were coming this week, <laughs> yeah. and I wanted to see his reaction. I had right? no idea. We watched it. I know. I'm complete shock. <laughs> and I uh, I put the clip in there, and he literally texts me. He's like, Keelback or effing Keelback. He put on there, <laughs> and I'm like, What do you mean? And he's like. I have two loves, Stamberg <laughs> and Keelback. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so that's <laughs> And this was when we had already talked about me coming on. Yeah, that's okay. right. And, I had no idea. and you had no idea. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I'll tell you what, uh, it's an honor for me to be here and it's uh, it's great to be remembered. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but I always am aware of the fact that uh, the local radio broadcaster back in those days, and I mentioned it in the book, has a tendency to be pretty popular because he is the voice you associate with growing up yeah. and, like you say, going to bed at night and that voice in your head, and it yep. uh, creates a bit of a bond. So, uh, uh, But it's uh, it's a great feeling, and I always enjoy having conversations like this with, with people like yourselves. I, I really appreciate you saying yes because, you know, it's easy to say no, yeah. and uh, I, I know that it takes a lot what of time. What else would I be doing? I don't know. Well, you'd be getting a new <laughs> bed. Fixing your bed. And a new TV. <laughs> That's something you could be doing. No, be, before, I, I cannot let this opportunity pass. Okay. This, and again, I didn't let him prepare at all. So no, like, I'm not prepared. Up the, I'm, I, this is just cold. Okay. I need you to do a call for me. So here's a scenario. The Jets have the power play. It's the mid to late 80s. Uh, they win the face off. Back to the point. The shot is blocked. 
The Edmonton Oilers scoot out on a two-on-one. And I'm not Bob, going a half hour Bob play Esson, by play. Bob Essenza makes the save. Power play. Just a scenario. You, you have any freedom, just like in the movie, to do whatever you want. Jets <laughs> out the power play. They have a shot. It's blocked. The Edmonton Oilers come the other way, two on one, and Essenza makes the save. Can you do that for The Essenza save part is probably the, yeah. the golden. Jets have the power play. They send out. Just a shot blocked. Okay, you don't give them so much. Do you, do you... Where, do, where does the puck start? The, the puck starts at the, shot. At, at the point. The one-timer. And the shot is blocked at the point. And then they rush on. And, and... it's a two-on-one. Gretzky, you can pick anyone oh, you oh, want. You mean Babbage takes a shot, it's yep. blocked at the point, yep. and then uh, That's and right. Gretzky and, and Curry, Gretzky and Curry go down a two-on-one, and it and then it's saved <laughs> by by Bob Essensa. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> <laughs> Putting him on the spot here. All right. Off the faceoff, puck goes back to the point. Here's Babbage, a shot. That's blocked. It bounces free. Two on one. Here's Curry with Gretzky. Hit a goal. Shot, save, rebound. Great save. Essenza Rob Gretzky. And the Jets win in overtime. Perfect. <laughs> that is fantastic. It's exactly what uh, what dreams are made of for hockey calls. Oh, man. I hope that didn't take too much out of you. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Thanks for watching the show. We really appreciate it. And uh, if you if you want, uh, we got the book. It's called uh, Two Minutes for Talking to Myself. It is uh, a great book. So many great stories in here. If you're a Jets fan, um, some Coyote stories too, if you're a Coyotes fan. I know there's not a ton of you guys out there, but the ones that are there are passionate. And uh, this is such a great book. So check it out. It's available everywhere. I got Amazon. Tim got his now, so he's got to read it up. So appreciate it once again here. We uh, <laughs> we love this. This has been fantastic. All right. I'll spray a little stuff in the throat. I'll be- <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll be all good. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for watching the Greg and Tim Show podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with all your friends. Sharing is caring.